Today, we are going to be looking at uh, the chapter 4 of Jonah. And if you haven't seen uh, the messages of the last two weeks, it might be worth going back and watching those. As Today, we're going to be concluding our series on the book of Jonah. We're also going to share communion together at the end of the message. So please have your cup and bread ready. Raid the cupboard, raid the fridge if you need to. If you've got your Bibles, please grab them and open up to Jonah chapter 4, and we'll read through it together in a moment. One of my favourite movies is The Dark Knight, starring Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne and the late Heath Ledger as the Joker. It was the highest grossing film of 2008. It was a great movie. And there is this scene where Batman is trying to understand the motives of this new enemy, the Joker. And Alfred, his butler, tells this story that seems to have no connection to the problem Batman is facing. He explains that he was once trying to catch some gemstone bandits. And so he was trying to find out who he was selling them to in order to find him. But no one had the gemstones. And he says... One day, after six months, I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. The bandit had been throwing them away. And Bruce Wayne replies, well, why steal it then? And Alfred replies with this really profound line, because some men just want to watch the world burn. And this has actually become quite the meme at the moment. But in the final chapter of Jonah... Jonah is one of these men. He just wants to watch Nineveh burn. He's not looking for anything else. He wants God's judgment and destruction. But instead, the Ninevites repent en masse. Everyone from the poor and the outcast to the king believed Jonah's preaching. So God showed compassion and he did not bring the judgment against them that Jonah was sent to warn them about. So this is where we pick up the story. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But God, uh, but Jonah, sorry, was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That this is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Verse 6, Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God acted exactly within his character that we see throughout the Old Testament. That God is gracious and compassionate. But Jonah's hatred of his enemies made him very upset. You might even say he was depressed. Jonah loses the will to live after seeing the widespread repentance of the Ninevites. And God says to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah finds a spot to watch the city. He builds a shelter there, and he's probably still hoping that God would send destruction upon the city. He's just wanting to watch the world burn. Jonah is, is getting beaten by the hot sun, and, and just like that, like God sent a fish, God sent a vine to grow up on his shelter, giving Jonah shade. But then God sends a worm to eat at the stem of the vine, causing it to wither and subjecting Jonah to the hot sun. And Jonah's loss of the shade of the vine angered him. And again, he loses the will to live, wishing that he would die. And again, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? But this time specifically about the plant. And Jonah justifies himself. And as dramatically like a scene from Home and Away or Neighbours, Jonah says, and I am so angry, I wish I were dead. And God replies, highlighting Jonah's inconsistent logic. Jonah showed concern for the plant, but for not for human beings, created in the image of God. God says they cannot even tell their right hand from their left. This isn't literal, they're not stupid people. God is saying they are morally destitute. They can't tell right from wrong, good or bad. And God even suggests, you know, if you don't care for the people who are, yes, morally evil, at least what about the animals? Care for them. They haven't done anything wrong. At least care for them. And that's kind of where the book concludes. It ends with this question. And what the writer of Jonah is showing us is the disconnect between Jonah's values and God's values. On one hand, we see God caring for the people. And the other hand, we see Jonah not caring for people, but instead for a plant. And it's not that the plant doesn't also matter to God, but that people are the most valuable in God's creation. And it forces us, its readers, to question our own values. Are our values distorted just like Jonah's values? Are we intent on an outcome that is contrary to God's desire? Not only is it contrary to God's will, but it's even contrary to the very nature of who God is. God is compassionate. He is gracious. He is loving. And Jonah is reflecting none of these characteristics. We are to be a church who reflect the character 
of God to our world. We need to uphold the values God upholds. And as I was thinking about this passage, I couldn't help but notice Jonah's hopelessness. So much so, he just wants to die. And unfortunately, this is not foreign in our society. You know, rates of depression were rapidly rising before COVID, and it seems that the subsequent lockdowns have only made things worse. I think Jonah is genuinely depressed here. I don't think we see in the text that he's suicidal, but I think he just loses the will to live. He just can't be bothered with life anymore. And it seems like he's feeling, been feeling this way for a while. When he was running to Tarshish, he gets thrown overboard to drown to his death, and he doesn't even put up a protest or a fight. What I think is interesting is that it's Jonah's distorted values that lead him to this place. Jonah's distorted values lead him to despair. Mental illness is a complex problem, and there are many factors such as environmental, social, psychological factors that cause it. But one factor that this scripture is speaking into is the despair of having distorted values. And I'm not making a blanket statement saying that all depression is caused by distortion of values, but I am saying it might be a big contributing factor. If we are finding ourselves in despair, in hopelessness, in darkness, yes, we need to go to a GP. Yes, we need to go on a mental health care plan. Yes, we need to see a Christian counsellor or psychologist. Yes, we need to talk to our spouse or a parent or a friend about how we're feeling. Yes, we need to talk to our pastors about it. But we also, as followers of Jesus, we must consider where our values might be distorted or even in opposition to God's values. When we distort the values of God, it's distressing. If we, if a, if we are stubborn like Jonah, it's tiring. It can take an emotional toll on us to go against the grain of God's revealed will. It's like swimming against the current. You know, many years ago, I was swimming at the ocean beach of Gunnamatta along the Mornington Peninsula. And it's really well known for its rips and, and wild waves and strong currents. And I went down with some friends to uh, body surf some waves. And not to our surprise at all, we got caught in a rip, dragging us out further away from the shore. And the other two guys I was with were actually lifeguards, so I felt pretty safe, uh, and I knew they would be fine. But after swimming for some time, I made it back to the beach, actually before the lifeguards as well. Not because I was a better swimmer, but because I had brought flippers. Smart. If you are swimming against the current of the values of God, it's easy to lose hope, to lose purpose, and to feel stuck because it feels like we're not getting anywhere and the outcomes we want are not being fulfilled. God has created us in His image to reflect His values and reflect His character. And if you're feeling hopeless and stuck, could it be an indication that your values are distorted and need realignment? And I would like to briefly look at two values that I think the writer of the book of, Hebrew, of Jonah asks us to look into the mirror 
and evaluate if our values are distorted. The first value is the value of human life. And the second is the one that we've spoken lots about this series and throughout the book of uh, Jonah, and that is the value of compassion. Well, let's look at the value of human life. Jonah hoped for the destruction of 120,000 people, yet spiraled into despair when God showed them compassion. Then God sent a vine to grow over Jonah's shelter, to give him shade from the heat. And God caused it to wither. And again, Jonah spiraled into despair. In verse 10 and 11, God says to Jonah, highlighting his distorted values, you have been concerned about this plant. You did not tend it. You did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern? for the great city of Nineveh. Jonah has no concern for human life. He doesn't even care for his own life. And he shows more compassion towards a spontaneous plant than to people. Jonah's values are distorted. He thinks people are not worthy of compassion, yet all of creation matters to God. But it's only humanity who are made in God's image. I want to share a fun fact with you for your Sunday morning. Did you know that all Australians are able to request a free portrait of the Queen? You can just email your federal federal member of parliament and request one. Uh, My friend has done that very thing uh, and has requested this photo of the Queen, and I've uh, borrowed it, um, and this, I think, lives on the inside of her toilet door. Um, so that's uh, an interesting fun fact. So if you would really like a photo of the Queen uh, for your house, you can just email your Member of Parliament and request one. But photographs of the Queen uniquely bear the image of the Queen. A photograph of anything else you can think of, it's not the Queen. Then it doesn't bear the image of the Queen. Like... This picture of me as a baby, while adorable it is, does not bear the image of the Queen. Only photos of the Queen bear her image. And only humanity uniquely bears the image of God. Nothing else in all creation bears His image. And this is why people are innately valuable. We are valuable because God is valuable and we are made in His image. The problem for Jonah is that he sees the depravity of the world. He sees the evil of humanity. And and like him, we can't escape that either. We can just turn on the news for a second and we see how depraved our world and how depraved humankind is. And we can get so caught up in how people are behaving, how people are doing the wrong things, or how this group of people are are acting wrongly or are not acting enough. And we become outraged by it. And like Jonah, we're angry. And it polarizes and divides our society and our churches. And I wonder if God would say to us in that moment, is it right for you to be angry? We forget that those people are also made in the image of God. 
And what happens is that we start to value people by if they're doing the right things, if they have the right opinions, instead of valuing them on whose image they are made in. And we see that Jonah also has distorted view of himself, wishing God would take his life. I'm just speculating here, but maybe he sees his own worth attached to the strength and dominance of the nation of Israel. So to see his enemies spared, he loses all hope, wishing for the end of his life. Human life is intrinsically valuable because God is valuable. Your life is valuable and worthy of love. As we consider our personal responses in this pandemic, we must uphold the value of all human life. You know, you might be getting nearer to the end of your life, and I would encourage you to remember you are still worthy of love. Your life is still precious to God. And at the opposite end of the spectrum, even the unborn are worthy of love. They too are precious to God. The second value that the writer of Jonah wants us to be challenged with is our compassion. Verse 2 says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the Old Testament to God. And he's quoting Exodus 34, 6. Jonah knows that God is compassionate, but he still resents him for it. Jonah's thinking is is too black and white. For Jonah, if right behavior is required, then wrong behavior must be punished. Grace and mercy are just not acceptable options in responses to evil. But that's what God chooses to do. Why? Because that's who he is. The word compassion in the Hebrew Bible is actually related to the word womb. So the word compassion invokes those innermost affections of a new mum has for her baby, to be deeply moved to care. And because of God's deep care for humanity, like a, a mum for her baby, he shows mercy to Nineveh. We should be compassionately moved to show grace and mercy even to our enemies. And there's a difference between grace and mercy. I just want to outline them here. Grace is a gift given in favor. You receive that which you do not deserve. While mercy is kind of the opposite. It's, it's not receiving that which you do deserve. The Ninevites get mercy. They do not get the destruction that their evil deserves. While, ironically, Jonah receives grace. He didn't deserve to be saved from drowning in the ocean, yet God sent a fish. Jonah didn't deserve to be shaded from the hot sun, yet God sent a vine to grow in his shelter. God, moved by his compassion for both the Ninevites and Jonah, he acts with grace and mercy. 
It's through embracing God's compassion to us that we are moved to show compassion to others. So firstly, we need to embrace God's graciousness for us before we can go out and share it with others. When I was a teenager, I asked my youth leader to mentor me. His name was Adam. Some of you might know him. And one day, Adam picked me up in his car and we went and got Slurpees at the local 7-Eleven at Heathmont. And I insisted that I would pay for my own Slurpee. I didn't want to be a burden. Adam was already giving up his time to spend with me. But Adam refused. He paid for the Slurpee. And then Adam said something in that moment that has stuck with me for over a decade. He said this, If you can't accept this gift of a $2 Slurpee, how are you going to accept the gift of God's grace? If you can't accept the gift of this $2 Slurpee, how are you going to accept the gift of God's grace? And I was speechless. He was spot on. I had to learn how to accept grace. If we are receptive of God's compassion, we won't resist God's grace. We'll embrace it. But for some reason, we think it's noble to reject gifts, or it can be a matter of pride and and self-sufficiency that we don't think we need the gift, or we feel too guilty and ashamed to be worthy of the gift. God's compassion is a gift no one deserves. But God loved us so much that Jesus would pay the price of the gift of grace so that it might be given to us. And the only appropriate way to respond to that gift is to receive it and then to pay it forward. To demonstrate that grace and mercy to others that God has shown to you. How would you rate your levels of compassion this week? How's your marriage going? Have you been showing grace to your partner? Have you been showing compassion to your kids this week? Have you been quick to anger or quick to show grace? Have you been compassionate to your co-workers, even when they've been frustrating? Do you show grace in the way that you drive your car? Do you show mercy to the people on the other side of the screen when you use social media and write that comment? Or not write that comment? There are many ways that we can show grace to people in our world. But there is only one way to receive it, and that is through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 